Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Ah, all the leaves are brown and the sky is grey, as somebody once intoned. Welcome to the autumn series of the uh, Pompey Politics Podcast. We had a little bit of a false start at the end of the summer, but we are now back for good to steal another song reference. How are you, Simon? I'm all right. I'm just glad that we didn't... Who was that? Was that Backstreet Boys? We'll be back for good. No, that was... Was he 17? Take that. Take that. Well, take that. I didn't remember that. Um, Yeah. um, So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm doing okay. How was your week? What are we doing today? Yeah, marvellous. Well, we're back on today, and as uh, as the title suggests, we are charging forward but perhaps more slowly, and great work with the uh, the logo of the EV charger and the snail. I'm sure that was a children's book. I may have read it at some point, but who knows? <laughs> Things get more confused as time goes on. It might um, be. <laughs> it could do. So, yeah, so uh, everyone's favourite unelected Prime Minister, Mr Rishi Sunak, has uh, caught the headlines in the last couple of weeks with a series of announcements relating to um, some of the the acceleration towards carbon neutral that had been, oh God, even I now by his predecessor's predecessor, the predecessor minus one was wasn't here for very long. Um, so yeah, so today we thought we'd um, have a look at what exactly had been said and some of the rationale behind it, and then pick through the bones as to pragmatic decision or is there more behind the thinking of uh, why we should be rowing back yeah so um just in case anybody had been um sleeping in a garden shed so last week um the the pm made an announcement um effectively um while sticking to the uh the 2050 net zero goal um has rode back rolled back by five years the banning of sales of new um internal combustion engine vehicles so uh new cars that are driven by uh, sorry powered by petrol or diesel um and also um delayed the the ban on new gas boilers um so um making both of those uh 2035 um but um stating that that didn't constitute um any diminishing of the aim to get to net zero by 2050 um the pm made various sorts of claims um, but essentially, that was that was the point that um, that was their announcement, um, which came a couple of days after after Liz Truss, um, if you can remember who she was, uh, basically got up and said, that effectively, we should row back on a lot of this green stuff, um, and um, and the, repeated the ever so successful things from last summer's um, but mini budget about uh, about a low tax economy. Um, it's almost like there was a Conservative Party conference coming up or something. Well, and I think that's where we've got to, um, and we'll go into the detail, but we have got to pick the bones out of this in terms of mm. how much of this is um, is good sense, how much of it makes sense, and how much of it is um, is the pre-appetizer for um, an upcoming election. So uh, I think it's, uh, I think we've we've got our suspicions that, um, you know, when when Liz stood up and said her piece, it was. Uh, it's one of those things where when you see Liz making a speech, you kind of think, well, I guess it's natural that people should listen to an ex-prime minister. 
but um, an ex-Prime Minister that perhaps didn't do the full shift, I am, and let's suggest that her, was it 46 days? Was it 49 or 47? Oh, well, we'll, it was we'll under 15. Call, we'll call it 50 for cash. We're, we're, we're not perhaps the, the most successful period in prime ministerial history. So, so yeah, interesting that she should be looking to to set the agenda and perhaps or, or try and influence the agenda from, shall we say, the more radical side of the Conservative Party. So I think in the style of Chris Whitty, you might have the slides there um, that, I... that the PM used to explain, show his working out. <laughs> I, I, I do indeed. So I've got some slides. So for those listening to the podcast, I will attach them. I will attach the link to them, um, so that you can follow along at home, as it were. But those of you watching the watching the stream, or watching it back on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Twitch, where else? Anywhere else? Can't think of anywhere think else. Yeah. Um, so you, um, yes, please do like, follow, subscribe, send cake. Uh, basically but yes i have i have some slides so um so yeah so the pm kind of started it started his speech saying that um this wasn't going to impact our ability to deliver net zero so interesting that he made he made that um made that statement at the outset uh, i think because that would probably have been a um been the first thing that um that people would have been concerned about but the first slide was saying that the uk has reduced emissions faster than any other major economy um that graph basically was showing a comparison between 1990 and the 2020 um climate watch uh, figures uh, that are available online and i'll share the i'll share the link to those um in, in the comments um but essentially um the rest of the g7 um the average for them was minus eight percent but there will be some countries that have delivered more than that. They're obviously impinged by the um, by some of the not so um, not so proactive countries, uh, but the UK uh, has indeed, compared to 1990, reduced its emissions by 48%. So that does mean that we've done quite well, uh, done very well, really, um, to reduce them by nearly nearly 50%. Um, but that does mean that we're still adding. Um, greenhouse gases to the atmosphere that doesn't mean that we're still contributing to uh, global warming so just to kind of set the yeah set the parameters of net zero is about the point at which you stop making it worse yes and i yeah. think that's where it, you know again there's always lies damn lies and then there are statistics aren't oh, there yeah. which is that you know we we've done 48 percent, and the average for the other seven is eight percent and and again you kind of look at that and think well you know, it, it is an interesting way of looking at it because the other G7 in terms of their emissions, not all animals are equal in that seven. And, you know, if some of the smaller contributors have made really big strides, but some of the bigger contributors perhaps haven't made such good strides, that brings the the average as a whole down. So as with all statistics, and I know I don't have to explain this to you as a liberal democrat and producer of bar charts you know sometimes I, you, I, cla you, I claim no ownership of any bar no charts no produced. no but but sometimes you you choose your statistics to make you look good but i think how do you know the, 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 I, I think all i think it would be fair to say that all parties do that you know the the 48 percent halving in 30 years it is a is a great leap forward um and it's better than the average so and uh, i think it's fair to say is that climate watch 
are independent and you know are not a government think tank so no, we can trust their stats to be to be good and honest so haven't we done well so far as his opening slide mm -hmm. yes so the uh, so the next slide um is um basically um the uk share of global emissions has fallen below uh, below one percent which is indeed true uh, but for the 2020 figures the uk is at 0.87 percent of the contributors uh, to um, to global uh, greenhouse gases, um, so that that is indeed uh, correct. We're twenty second um, of one hundred ninety eight countries um, in the contributors to that, so that still puts us in the you know the, you know way up in the in the top um, in the top twenty, um, as in worst twenty you you might say. Um, but it's there's other stuff that goes like well, obviously countries are of varying sizes, but also yeah. there are varying um sizes of population but also varying sizes of of actual contribution to to the problem but yes um in a sense we are less than one percent of the we our contribution to the increase in greenhouse gases is less than is less than one percent of the global total yes true yep so another another solid statistic that mm -hmm. is we are doing nicely thank you yeah um the next one um, the UK committed to reducing emissions faster than every other major economy. Um, it's interesting that, um, and it, it's interesting that the phrasing there, that we committed to reducing emissions, it's not we have or we did or we will, it's we've committed. So it's almost like we were the fastest at saying that we were going to reduce them by what, and it doesn't talk about the amount mm. and by when. So I don't know, it's a, it's a strange choice of sentence. Um, but, but the other thing there was interesting is that other major economies, but in this bar chart, we're being compared to Germany, France, Australia, USA, Japan, Russia, New Zealand, Canada, and the EU, which, mm. of course, also includes Germany and, and France. Um, but bless them, I would never have thought that New Zealand was a major economy. No, and again, a little bit selective, isn't it? In terms of you, you, you pick your sample that makes you look best. I, you know, you look at some. There's there's New Zealand on the list. I don't see one for. I, I would rather have seen perhaps India and Brazil on that graph. Um, but but um, you know maybe those numbers didn't. So again, better than some other major players. Um, better perhaps than some minor players but again yeah it's starting to look a little bit more shall i use the phrase statistically selective yeah they've they've, def they've definitely chosen the comparison and, and interestingly this one that they quote their source as internal department for energy security and net zero calculations um ah. so well, it could be the uh, that could be the the net zero calculation somebody could have got the nz meant muddled up and that's why new zealand <laughs> and that's why there. new zealand are there indeed yeah. that, that that could entirely be it um yeah. so yeah. so somebody said to make sure you include nzc and somebody will oh new zealand country i better stick that on the graph yeah i think that's what happened definitely um so the the next slide was about the uk set to have one of the lowest emissions per capita of any major economy um so in this one the uk is 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 shown as 
Um, interestingly, the, the vertical um, axis on this one, the scale, has got some numbers from, from 0 to 14, but it doesn't say what they're measuring. Um, it shows the UK um, in lovely almost rainbow colours uh, nearest the axis, but then basically everyone else kind of after that in increasing levels of whatever the bars are meant to be. Um, but we're being in this one compared to Brazil, the EU, Japan, Argentina, China, USA, Canada and Australia. Um, I don't know that we, I mean, Brazil's the 11th country in the world by uh, by GDP. Um, we're the sixth. So uh, what are you, um, when you're saying a major economy, I don't, I don't know that um, that those would be the ones that you'd pick necessarily. I mean, obviously well, the USA and Canada, the USA is currently the, the world's largest um, economy. Sorry, um, China is the second largest. Um, but um, yeah, Australia is the 12th. Um, Canada is the ninth. Um, Argentina, where did our, where are Argentina? They're the twenty-second largest economy in the world by GDP. Mm. So yeah, and they they seem the odd one to 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 sort of throw into the mix. And I think that this is where you know some of these things, when you start to to look at them, and you know you, what when you when you look at things like per capita, you know, and the UK is a is a pretty densely populated country on the whole you know there are big bits of it that perhaps aren't so much but when you look at a you know you try doing that comparison with somewhere like you know india or russia um not the same and but then the flip side to that is you know particularly in somewhere like india you know living standards in big cities very similar to a western economy but great swathes of the country um possibly you know different expectations and different levels of pollution so or of carbon you know of carbon emissions so i think these these you know again they're looking to paint a good story to set up the reveal aren't they um they are so i mean again this is saying per capita of any major economy um so i compared the gdp figures against the 2020 figures from climate watch uh, per capita um and actually of the of the top 25 uh, countries by gdp um the the uk um um the uk's um emissions per per capita um of the 25 there are actually uh, two four six eight ten there were ten that have actually got a lower um, emissions per capita than we have um, one of whom India is actually a larger um, economy than than ours um, they're yeah. fifth in GDP um, France which is just behind us is seventh in GDP um, also so yeah even in the even in the top 10 there are there are three other countries in the top 10 that have by GDP that have actually lower um, lower emissions per capita so um, so that's obviously the 2020 figures which was the latest set of figures actually on, on climate watch um but it's also interesting that the that the statement here is uk set to have one of the lowest emissions per capita of any major economy well, mm, again, set it's to, another, it's, yeah you know, it's another forward-looking statement and i think the 2020 yeah. data is clearly showing us that you know the uk is kind of you know above the midpoint in the top half of the table but not 
not pushing no. for medal places at this point. But, no, um, not 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 by a long shot. Not by not by capita. Um, and and also it's it's a bit like saying my budget is lower than your budget. Well, your budget's saying how low your budget is compared to someone else's, even if that were the case, is one thing. But it's actually really how much you spend, right? Correct. Correct. Next slide. So the so the last slide people will be glad to hear before this turns into um, death by PowerPoint. Um, so the last slide is is uh, basically the UK's new transition to EVs is in line with other major uh, major countries. So their choice of word countries. Um, so our old goal was 2030. Um, so um, the likes of Norway, Denmark, Iceland, and Singapore are uh, are going for 2030. Whereas the 2035 is now obviously the UK. They've put a nice red circle around that just to help us in case we weren't sure what country we're in um but also france germany sweden spain california canada new york massachusetts and queenland Austra queensland australia um i don't know how good you, your geography well it's good enough to know that <laughs> that some of those places are are not countries yeah um and it's interesting that that 2030 list you know uh, uh, again you know, it, it, the the three Nordic countries and Singapore, and you know, without wishing to bore the listeners, to you know, I, I member of my team went to live in Singapore and um, realised that um, before you can own a car in Singapore, you first have to purchase a license to own a car, um, and that those those come up for auction periodically. So you you've got to put about fifty thousand pounds down to buy one of the licences. And bear in mind, this was probably 10 years ago and once you've got the license then you can go and buy a car um so you know there is an element of because singapore is a extremely small island um lots of people go there it's tax advantageous nature so it doesn't surprise me that they are the the, the part of their challenge in terms of evs will not be well evs are slightly more expensive than petrol cars because when you've got to put down a significant sum on the table just to be able to purchase one, I don't think that's going to be a problem for them. So I guess we didn't we didn't spell it out, but this this slide does is that so that deadline for the end of the sale of new petrol and diesel combustion engines has now gone back five years, yeah, from 2030 till 2035. So should we focus in on the on the EV thing first? Okay. In in terms of bad thing, good thing, too soon to tell. Um, well, he's, surprised. Well, here's here's the thing: is that, um, and it, and it's worth kind of it's worth saying that different uh, different people responded responded um, to it in in a variety of ways. To be fair, so it wasn't universally either universally championed or, or derided. So. Um, the um, the Labour Shadow Environment Secretary um, Steve Reed uh, basically said that uh, so, um, Rishi had uh, sold out the the biggest economic opportunity of the of the 21st century, um, and that would cause hey. the UK to, to to miss its net zero target. Um, Lib Dem leader Sir Ed Davey um, called it selfish, um, and uh, and um, and it epitomises his weakness. Um, the Scotland's first minister, um, Humza Youssef, um, called it utterly unforgivable. Um, and um, yeah, so at even um, Chris Stark, the chief executive of the UK's Independent Climate Change Committee, 
um, wasn't um, wasn't exactly glowing and basically said that um, he they'd already advised the, the the government that the, we weren't on track actually to um, to meet the 2030 emission targets. So that's the milestone to actually deal with the emission targets towards uh, 2050. Um, on the other coming out in um, with their cheering pom-poms um, raising instead of their booing. Um, Jacob Rees-Mogg um, basically seemed to think that it was a great idea um, and that having regulations coming in so quickly um, isn't, isn't, a, isn't a great thing. Um, and that um, moving with the, moving to something he called intelligent net zero. I don't know how something can be an intelligent not really funny it's either net zero or it isn't i don't mm. know what caveat he's trying to introduce there um it gives me shivers about the whole thing about lukewarm brexit cold brexit um but um yeah you know net zero is net zero right it's just maths um yeah, yeah. so um yeah um and even um sir alex sharma um who was who? Who was the Conservative minister who chaired the COP twenty six climate summit, uh, in which a lot of the original um, targets were were set and agreed? Um, reported to the BBC that um, the response from international colleagues at because um, he was um, he was at a climate action summit, which, funnily enough, um, Rishi Sunak had declined to attend. Um, that the response from international colleagues was was one of consternation. Um, the carmaker Kia um, said that it alters complex supply chain no, no negotiations and product planning um, while potentially contributing to consumer and industry confusion. Um, the chief executive of E.ON um, said that um, it was a misstep on, on many levels um, and talked about the the, the, the false argument that, that um, the moving to green policies um, can only come at a, a cost. Um, whereas Jaguar Land Rover um who had recently announced actually hundreds of um, new jobs in the west midlands yep um they seem to think that it was a pragmatic change um as did toyota well and and i think that that's where i am I, i'm i am wondering about this announcement in terms of whether this is an announcement of a change of policy or it is in fact a recognition that you were never going to hit it anyway um because i i i you know i i found the whole electric car discussion and the end of the in, internal combustion engine for sale it does throw up so many conundrums in terms of, of, you know, the, the vehicle owning public, how pragmatic is it to own an electric vehicle? And I think a city like Portsmouth is the, is the kind of perfect example because, you know, we have, let, let's, you know, if we focus on, you know, what is the, you know, one of the most favourite topics to get everybody frothed up in Portsmouth well well you're, you're talking potholes parking or poo aren't you dog poo potholes so, parking or poo and yeah. parking <laughs> being you know we have so many you know flat fronted houses that were built before cars were a thing and so when I look at that 
and I think about the the pragmatic nature of owning an electric vehicle. Seven years to fix that. Now twelve years to make that viable, and I know it's not twelve years because there's an element of that's when the new ones aren't being sold, and there'll be a phase out of the old ones. But I do wonder how pragmatic in a city like Portsmouth will it be to own a car if you need to charge it electrically um i don't know i mean how would i mean what was your recent experience like with um so, so i still own an electric car um so i i went fully electric um and i am going to be giving it back not because of its electric nature, it's a long story which I won't bore you with on the podcast, but what I learned was that in terms of owning an electric vehicle, I'm very fortunate, I live in Koshima, I have a hard standing, so I can plug my electric vehicle in overnight to recharge. And it's very, very cheap to, to run if you can recharge it from your house. To put it into context, my previous BMW cost me about 22p a mile to run. And if I charge my electric overnight, it costs me just over a penny a mile to run. So effectively, all of the round town driving that we do is free. It's, well, it's not free, but do you know what I mean? It is, it is a handful of copper coins. Mm -hmm. But the problem comes when you look further afield, when you have to travel as I do with work. So this week, we've got a 250-mile round trip. And the range on my battery is nominally 273 miles. Now, you can't run it that close because it's not like having a petrol car where, you know, you look at it and go, well, we're getting a bit tight. We'll just nip into the petrol station and stick a tenner in. It, it is a case of you have to plan where you're going to charge your car and you've got to you, you try and plan those stops but currently the number of charges that are available are relatively small in number and often they're either full with other people charging or they're broken so you know you've got you've got the map in your mind that you've thought through and you say well okay you know we'll have about 80 miles left when we get there we'll stop and charge there and you find that oh actually you know there's two cars charge and these things this is not a this is not a nip in the petrol station stand there for a minute and a half you know you you've got to plan a 20 minute stop and you turn up and there are four cars queued up well that either means you're going to be sat about for an hour or you go on to the next one so the infrastructure at the moment doesn't feel ready for the number of electric vehicles that there are out there in the wild at the moment and so i i just am am confused as to how we would get to a position where it wouldn't become something that you would have to think about and or plan and or become hugely inconvenienced by yeah and, and i think i mean there was i mean interestingly there were, i mean there were there weren't any details released yet but uh, but the pm kind of mentioned something um else in his speech about talking about 
the frustrations uh, with regarding kind of network connections um, and therefore kind of, um, you know, the, the, how much of an impact that is on kind of slowing things down. Um, but it seems that the, so the, so the argument kind of that, that the PM was making was, uh, was about the, this is um, imposing a, you know, 2030 would have, would have imposed a, a cost on people that, that can't afford it, cost of living crisis, um, the very people that um, you'd want to be able to actually, um, tra- you know, transition over, over to EV would be effectively kind of priced out of it. Um, mm. I, I don't know, I must admit, I mean, I mean, kind of two minds about that, because one part of me thinks that with the only way to actually drive, and, it, and the pun is entirely intentional, if you, the only way to kind of really drive down the cost of something is, is to ensure mass adoption. Um, and by mo- removing the, 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 the point at which um, new car sales needed to be that type of technology meant that it means that on one hand, yes, it gives, um, you know, it gives installers and network providers and manufacturers um, longer, long, uh, uh, a greater period of time, an extra five years in order to kind of arrive at, at what they need to arrive at. But from a point of view of it driving down the cost to, uh, to buy a new, uh, a new EV, um, that's only really going to actually come when actually it becomes a mass adoption thing anyway. Um, but it's also worth not skipping over the, the, the I, I think the argument about, well, it's just pricing people out of being able to move over to EVs, but regardless of whether they were EVs, were, that, were they people that would have likely have been buying a new car, a brand new car anyway? Because, um, you know, the, the, the law was never about stopping second-hand car sales or, um, no. you know, second-user on, on, on onward car sales. This was about brand-new car sales. Um, so in one hand, the, the PM's kind of making a point of, well, actually, market forces will, again, drive that. Because in, what, 2016, EV and um, and hybrid car sales were something like 1.6% of new car sales, whereas actually mm. um, in 2022, they were 23% of, of new car sales. So, and- you know, is he looking at that graph and seeing that actually eventually they will naturally be more than 95% and therefore there won't be a market for petrol-driven cars and therefore people would just stop selling them anyway. So is he and, uh, moving with that argument? I, I think so, Simon, because I think the direction of travel, and I think it showed on that last slide, that the majority you know, are looking, or, or a significant number of countries are looking at this 2035 deadline, which is where he's moved the goalposts to. Now, there is an element of you know, again, if you can afford to purchase a new car and, and you know, I, I lease my cars. Um, so there is an element of when you're looking at petrol versus hybrid versus electric, the, the, the simple answer is if you do a lot of miles and you can charge, you know, not a ridiculous amount of miles and you can charge your car at home, then electric actually makes good financial sense because, it is so cheap to run. Um, the the challenge is that you know it is still a much more expensive car. Um, you know when you compare it at the moment to its its petrol counterpart. So you do have this situation where you know the new car market. I, I think you know that entry point. It is coming down to your point about market forces. Um, you know those origin. Some of those original. 
know, when you were paying effectively fifty thousand pounds for a small family hatchback, you know, when its petrol equivalent was probably twenty thousand pounds, that gap is narrowing. But I think there is still a piece that says, and it's the bit which I can't get straight in my own mind, which is that when will car, you know, will it actually end up being counterproductive because? You've got a situation where I don't see how somewhere like Copner, you know, or Buckland could ever be in a position. Buckland's probably a bad idea because car ownership is low there. But how could you possibly ever have a functioning infrastructure that would allow people to to effectively charge you know, because we're talking about overnight charging, how would they charge their cars overnight? Or their place of work, their car park, would need to have a charging point almost at every space. And I know when I spoke to the head of estates for the organisation I work for and said, Oi, when are you putting in charging points on all of our sites? His answer was, well, I'm not, I can't, because I simply can't get the electrical infrastructure to the site to allow me to do that. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, th this has actually set me thinking much more about, is it going to be a case of the last of the internal combustion engine cars will be nursed and loved and the price is kept high because all the time you're allowed to, you know, rather than driving maybe a three-year-old car, you're going to keep driving a 10-year-old petrol electric car in 2045 because you've still got no way to 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 charge that car effectively. I, 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 well, I think there's several there's several barriers there, and 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 originally when we discussed this episode, we wanted to we'd wanted to get someone from the EV um, charging industry industry mm. on, and we wanted to get some. Uh, someone on that that thought it was a great idea, and someone that, that didn't think um, th th this delay was was a great idea, and, and talk kind of around those points. But unfortunately, to, we we weren't able to to secure um, the, all of the guests, so we decided it was best just to have a editorial episode where we we would talk it through ourselves rather than just have one guest who was taking one point of view, and then yes. uh, then us trying for um, for purposes of conversation to kind of thrash out the others. But I, I, I think there I think there are practical elements about that. So from a perspective of, you know, if if you if you're managing a project and there's a particular there are particular pinch points um, in your delivery of, of that project, and you know still that you can't change actually the overall the overarching um, end point of delivery. Um, but there are some milestones that you can move along the way. Essentially, that, that's what Sunak's done, isn't it? He's, he's mm. moved, he's moved these milestones. Um, it was interesting that um, that Jaguar Land Rover, having last week um, or whenever it was, saying you know said themselves that they were going to invest loads of money in, in basically um, a, an EV factory, that they weren't then bruised by this um, th this announcement. So, so in some respects, if yeah, I, I can get that. You manufacture you know, the car manufacturing industry. Um, where we the only potential, if you think from an economy perspective, um, benefit, and, and here I am trying to play devil's advocate, mm. is that 
was there was there was there any industry benefit of going five years ahead of the EU? Because in that respect, would that mean that that manufacturers could potentially have chosen the UK as a site on which to uh, manufacture their cars, or at least manufacture a large um, at least a part of their vehicles that they were then assembled in the EU, so they didn't have import taxes or, or whatever. However, that arrangement would have meant would it would it have been a shoe in that would have got the UK to a point where we became a natural point, a natural place for that investment to take place because we were moving five years earlier than than the rest of the continent. Um, that that was maybe that that was kind of an argument for that. But Jaguar Land Rover's response doesn't seem to no, seem to I kind mean, of you know um, kind of kind of back that up. So I think well, I think I, there's yeah. Sorry, go on. Well, I think the car makers are an interesting bunch, aren't they? Because there is an element of their their job is to sell the public cars Mm. and there is an element of that they they, they've got a very you know 30 35 is is a clear direction of travel and there's an element of you know that that change that you described in seven years from sort of what was it one two percent to 23 percent says that the tide is heading that way anyway I think there is this piece where if you, you know, if the models that you're bringing through are fully electric and or hybrid, then I think you've got a strong, you've got a very strong sales pitch to sell those cars, you know, because I think there is an element of, and this is where it's interesting to understand how what the public perception of this is, you know, there are people who you know, if the product is good enough and the the person buying the product thinks, well, quote unquote, I'm doing my bit, then given the choice between a petrol, a diesel or a hybrid or an electric, I, I think pe- people are naturally going to self-select towards the hybrid or the electric if they can make that work for them. Well, I mean... There's that. There's that side of the argument. Um, I just think that you know, I can't can't help but keep coming back to the actually, if the if the law requiring that basically saying that you could you you had to stop selling um, internal combustion engine vehicles um, means that everyone has to do it. You you are then forcing the industry wholesale to to change and therefore all of the new vehicles. If that's, it's almost like it doesn't. It almost contradicts itself in that way because actually, if in the space of those those seven years we've gone from one point six percent to twenty three percent, and therefore in the in the next seven years, are we going to basically go from that twenty three percent up to up to one hundred percent, or you know probably you know ninety ninety five percent, um quite probably. In which case, why move it back? Well, because I think there is this element of, and that's where I think this tipping point comes, Simon, which is that the infrastructure can't cope and you know uh, there there will be that piece and and you know if you uh, as we did before going to deciding to go for the fully electric you kind of look at the blogs and you look at the you know you look at the the noise online about owning an electric vehicle there are stories that you will have read that would have put you off from ever owning one you know, there, there is an element of, you know, there are people who have had very bad experiences owning electric cars. 
um, you know, my, mine has not been great. But as that's more to do with the car than its electric nature. Yeah, sorry, I was mildly distracted. Someone's messaged me just to say that the audio isn't actually coming through on YouTube and Facebook. Um, but we'll carry on and then I'll just have to upload as, as recorded. Upload um, that afterwards, yes. So, yeah, so... Um, yeah I think... <sighs> I think there's there's kind of um, and again with the puns there's there's lots of moving parts to this. It's it's a bit kind of catch twenty two. On one hand, either we're heading in that direction, in which case why delay it, or um, is delaying it. So I, I I don't know. Falling into line with where everyone else is again means that we get to take advantage of investment that's elsewhere and and um, movements of kind of mass production um, that um, that delivers that elsewhere. So I I don't. Um, I don't know. I'm, I must admit, I'm in, I'm in two minds. Personally, I think that the sooner we, we move away from uh, from um, from using any form of any form of fossil fuels, the better, because net zero is merely about the point at which you stop making it worse, and we're we're already careering towards a point, and we can already see the the effects of of, of climate change and, and what they're having. And I, I think the cost of not doing enough is going to be greater than the cost of actually doing that now. Um, so, I, I mean, one of our one of our um, friends of the pod, their their comment that they that they made um, was that it's um, his claims that neither. So this was from Elliot. Um, so um, his, the PM's claims that neither people nor the economy can afford to act to prevent the full impact of the climate crisis are ridiculous. Uh, we can afford. Uh, to act otherwise the problem is just going to build up becoming a greater financial and social burden for future generations to deal with a pause on commitments would feel somewhat like a decision a sensible gov government would make but to roll back makes you question their intentions um well, and we can t we can t we could uh, sorry there was just another paragraph so fossil fuels are so expensive what would be useful right now is the financial support to make that transition so that over time they can move away from oil and gas we know that renewables are cheaper we know that energy efficiency is cheaper the energy we don't need to use is the is the cheapest of all so i mean that that's a very very interesting point we're, we're talking so about all of that sorry go on there's some really good points in there, but mm. I think one of the one of the difficulties in this in this whole discussion is around the idealism versus the reality, and it is that we as a society can't afford not to get that, but there's an element of, you know, uh, and again, let me paint a little picture, you know, uh, we're 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 a family of four, living in Copner. There's nowhere for us to charge our electric cars. We both you know, we both work long shifts. We're not, you know, we're, we're, we're earning below the average wage. Well, in 2031, when my boiler breaks, it would have been four grand to replace that with a gas boiler. And as a household, that would have been really tough for us to find four grand. But we can't have no hot water and no heating. So we're going to have to find the four grand from somewhere. I'm not sure where we're going to find 11 grand, 12 grand for a heat pump. And that's where I think, uh, that's where I think Elliot's kind of conversation, Elliot's, you know, idealism in that post where it slightly runs aground because I think we can all agree that it would be better if, and I think we're all on that same page. But I think there is a piece that, that the, the difference in cost between a heat pump and a gas boiler is 2x, 3x. 
and the difference between an electric car and a non-electric car is is 1.5x and when you know money is tight and let's look at it the irrespective of who's running the country there's a really big bill to pay and the economic forecast for the next 10 years doesn't look spectacular that's where i that's where i i start to look at the I start to look at these decisions through the lens of pragmatism and how responsible is it for a government to force those kind of costs onto its its folk, even though morally it's probably the right thing to do. Um, yeah, I'm... Um... But those aren't the only, I mean, I, I guess the, the overarching point is those aren't the only choices, are they? Um, and um, there are other choices that, that can be made to, to again, in, invest in technology or to subsidise the installation, indeed to subsidise the insulation of, yep. of, of properties. So um, I think... I think probably where where some of the greatest struggle is in more rural areas where they're off grass, gas network... Yep. where they're using oil-fired boilers. So there'll be places where where the householder would essentially have a tank on their property that they'll they'll get filled up um, yep. from from time to time because they're basically just not on the gas network and, and therefore that's the only way they, they can heat their home. Um, the, the alternative to replace that with, a, with something that's powered with electricity, um, you know, a heat pump, unless you're generating and storing that electricity on site. So unless you've got lots of solar array, um, you know, wind wind turbine and lots of battery storage on site. The, the alternatives to doing that electrically, sorry, the alternatives by yeah. doing that electrically would, would you know, you, you're talking about substantial upgrades both to the property and to the to the network around them in order to basically take that 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 amount of power to um, you know a, a quiet squeaky little village um, where the, where there's you know one property on a hill or, or whatever. So mm. so there's there's an argument there, but then again you could also say that okay we exempt properties in a rural area. You could say we exempt properties that are aren't you know aren't going to be served by um, basically that have to wait more than a given period for an electricity connection that's that's going to be able to do it so although it's not the final you know it's not a it's not the ideal solution you don't have to have an all or all or nothing answer because net zero isn't stopping all burning of fossil fuels it's saying all of the burning of fossil fuels that still takes place is offset by some form of carbon or other greenhouse gas capture yep. um yep. so and those properties by volume and by by quantity aren't really going to be that much of a contribution to the, to the overall um, greenhouse gas contributions from the UK. Yeah. So so th I, I think it's a, a there's a there's a bit of me that kind of thinks that there's a false argument either way to say that actually the answers have to be binary. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because it, it is about the banning of, mm. and it's about uh, and that's where. I'm I'm less worried about the rural side of things simply because those properties will be fewer in number. I think where I start to, to get a bit nervous, it's a little bit like my concern with the electric car, is, you know, when you start looking at high-density housing, you know, social housing, rented housing, you know, we, we, you know, one of the things that I think we can all agree on is that you know, the cost of putting a roof over your head is 
just extraordinarily high and that it's the shortage of afford the shortage of affordable property is something we've discussed on the podcast many times before um and and that you know that, that is a real issue for us and i just look at you know that the cost of a heat pump to be installed you kind of look at it and think well you know you do worry about kind of well you know are we going to be in a situation where almost if it's you know we talk about no gas boiler are we going to be going back to you know immersion heaters and and electric whatever they what were the things the radiators with bricks in that storage storage heaters, heaters. You know, are, are we going to be headed back that way um, simply because, you know, which were, although electrically powered, were hugely inefficient simply because the capital cost of installing them is is lower than is lower than putting in a heat pump. Um, possibly i mean that yeah i mean it's true that those those are the options i mean i mean the whole point of that i mean some of this actually thinks about when you think about in the 70s those were those were a choice because overnight when um, when demand on the network was very very low it's actually if you've got a for example a coal-fired power station you don't really want to shut it down overnight you actually just keep it running so what you want to do is get get you know have some way to use all of that um, extra electricity so what what seemed to be the thing in the 70s was flog that flog that electricity off at cheap at cheap rate um but we've got different technologies you know and you know people people have got smart meters and things like that now that means means that, that all of those things are different and you know, we, I couldn't kind of, you know, speak to kind of how those works, but the the technological solutions to those things are slightly different. So again, it isn't a heat pump is the only way of, of mm. heating a home. There are there's more than one technology to hit to heat by electricity, and there's there's more than one way to make sure that a property can make use of cheap rate electricity. Um, and, and that's, a, that's you know, exactly how my EV charger works. Yeah. And again, it's all slightly surreal in that it gets plugged in and we've set it up on the app. And at one minute past midnight, it turns itself on and it slurps from the electricity supply until 4.59 in the morning when it turns itself off. Um, And as I say, the difference in terms of the cost of that electricity is 20% of the cost that it would be if I did the same charging during the day. And it is... um, it is kind of 50 times cheaper than the cost of the electricity if I was to go and plug my car in at a commercial um, recharging point that's out in the wild. So I think there is a situation where in in all of this, you know, 2050 hasn't moved. Um, 2030, you know, the, the delay 2030 to 2035. I think there's a bit of me just having researched it because we do do a bit of research sometimes for the podcast um i'm not convinced it wasn't inevitable so i guess the interesting question is is the is the calling of it now the honest call by the project manager who knows that they're not going to hit the end deadline or surely if it's a if it's a really bad thing that Rishi has done this week, shouldn't he have left it for 
whoever the next incumbent is to sit in number 10. Whoever that might be. Whoever that might be to open the project plan up and think, oh my God, we're not going to hit that. I'm now going to have to announce the delay. Um, yeah, politically, that's a that's an interesting thing. So it's, it's hard to tell between, because some of the things that were in the speech... Um, we won't dwell on them, but we're quite clear. I mean, we've we've kind of looked at the looked at the slides, but some of the things were were stuff that was I stopped these things happening that were, were not things that were ever going to happen. Were not things that the government had had, had agreed to um, to actually put into place. Sorry, seven bins have come from <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. Uh, seven bin Sunak. Um, so uh, you know, so it, it's a strange kind of narrative to take, and, and also kind of labelled as. I want to be honest with you, but I'm going to start my speech by making actually four very untrue claims. Um, but yeah, it's hard to know between that whether the motivation is political or or basically just pragmatic. Um, understanding, and in which case, why at this point, why, why a couple of days after um, after Liz Truss made her speech, uh, and a week ahead of the Conservative Party conference, why make this announcement now? Um, I don't know. Um, and it's the thing that the thing that worries me if if whether this is a whether this is red meat to the to the people in. Um, in certain political parties that may or may not be climate change deniers that basically just want all of this net zero. Um, I think some of them are quoted of, of using different words to describe net zero and that we should just get rid of all of this green quote-unquote crap. Um, is that just kind of red meat to them to kind of get them off of, off of his back? I, I don't know. Well, I, obviously, I'm, I'm, not sat, I'm not sat in that room. But an indication for me would be the stuff that's happened since... Which seems to be a seems to be a wanting to position themselves of so it's almost like a bit it's almost like a bit like the Republican Party in the in the US they're trying to make sure that everybody understands that they're they're the party of liberty and they're the party of free choice and we want to protect your guns they're coming for your guns um, despite there actually being no evidence of of, the, of them coming for their for their guns um, we obviously don't have a gun you know guns widely available in in the uk so it's not kind of something but a something people do have a personal and emotional attachment to is that block of metal that they pay a lot of money for that spends 95 percent of its time unoccupied sat sat doing nothing but depreciating um and it seems that the tactic is to put the is the government to put itself on the side of car owners um you know when you see the kind of the stuff about the 20 miles an hour stuff that they've they've come up with since ending Um, the war on motorists yeah and it's this this whole kind of thing of in when you look at that in context i I don't know that makes me feel quite uneasy if i'm really honest in one sense Mm. there's a bit of me that could say okay if this was the pragmatic decision of what you needed to do because otherwise you weren't going to make it make the decision now but but in any situation, if you've got a if your project owner has said, well, we're not going to change our end target, but we're going to move these milestones. Usually, what they turn around and say is, what are you going to do to make sure that in two years' time we're not having the same conversation mm-hmm. and that we are going to be on track for the for this new milestone that we've set? And also, what are you doing to alleviate the the the, the squeezing of the milestone basically the journey to the next milestone from this yep. one that you've just you've just kind of moved down the timeline um is that just kicking the can down the road and will we have another conversation in two years time 
where where that happens has he just given a free pass to starmer where starmer can say well we're not going to bring it back to 2030 because we don't want to mess uh mess investment and mess the industry around uh, again so he's fe- essentially just given keir starmer another five years to sort a problem that that, that rishi sunak has, has has created but it I, I don't know i just find it interesting the differing voices that you've got coming out of the of the quote-unquote leadership of the of the conservative party the differing the differing wings of it it's got more wings than a dragonfly i think at this point um that as to, as to we should be going for this and investing in it because it's a future for our economy and it's the right thing to do for our country and our planet and um as elliot said the cheapest energy is the energy you don't have to use so these are all the things we should be going hell for leather in and actually investing in our in our own people but it I, I don't know. I I feel at the moment like it's just kicking the can down the road and either hoping that there's some sort of miraculous technical technological solution, which we've seen how well that works in other other things over the last seven years, um, or hoping that someone else will just have to deal with it and it won't and it won't be him because you know even if the Conservatives win the next election, it's not likely to be him that's around that no. long. So, no, I I think I think. You know, as I touched on at the start, I think it is the I think it is a positioning of the Conservative Party for the next election. I think, you know, we have to look at the Uxbridge by-election. Yeah, I think we have to look at the, you know, the tipping point within that election. You know, almost every political commentator acknowledges that ULES played a part in that. And that it was the unpopularity of you, Les. Oh, have you pressed a button? Yeah, something I did. Sorry, I was trying something. Go on. Don't, don't do that again. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's an element of you, Les, coming to Uxbridge was the tipping point that meant the Conservatives kept that seat against all odds. So I I, I am looking, uh, you know, as, uh, as we do, as observers of the political landscape, I am... I am not convinced that there is a a piece going on now which is that uh, i think against the backdrop of of you know a increasing cost of living and you know the the just the general uh, expenses i think anything i think when when people look at what is the right thing to do but what will be the personal cost to them? You know, we've discussed it on Portsmouth with cars before, haven't we? You know, everybody thinks there should be less cars on the island. Everyone thinks that somebody else should give their car up because there's not room for all of them. Um, the concept that you might be the person to give the car up is where everything tends to hit a stumbling block. So I, I think there is a there is a bit of political positioning here. The the uh, and again, I, you can argue morally where it comes from but i i think it is a it is a statement about you know some th- these things i think they're very popular with you know people who are very invested in in sort of climate change and would consider themselves to be green and i put that in air quotes i think for people who want to do their bit i think they'll self-select any ev- anyway but i think it is I think it will be a popular move with the person on the street to say, well, we're not going to impose this expense on you 
um, and effectively will dare the Labour Party now to to say, oh, yes, we're going to, or to, to hang with it. Yeah, it's a it's a disappointing type of um, political brinksmanship when actually what's at risk is the environmental future. And I, and I know this is uh, this is quite a hyperbolic point, but when, when when what's actually at risk is the is actually the, the future of the future of the planet. Um, I don't think our children's children are going to thank us for pissing away the the possibility of kind of moving forward by arguing about whether or not we could take some of the subsidy well take the subsidy away from fossil fuel investments um and tax those unwelcome profits that have happened because of the increases in um in um oil because of because of the ukraine war because of putin's invasion of ukraine and, and invest those in actually bringing down bills and actually bringing down costs of energy um for the households that especially those that need it by increasing their insulation and by um solving some of the problems about the installation of of, of kind of charging points yeah we're not the only city that's going to face the problem of how do you fit in charging points in loads of rows and rows of of um, front flat fronted uh, properties and in fact there are actually many um differing solutions that that work from having the charge points in um, in lampposts, which is something I think that's been uh, being pushed mm. forward in Portsmouth, to not be funny, quite literally actually running a running a cable in a in essentially what's a gutter uh, from the property um, to the street, so that you can kind of do it that way. You know, all all of those things can can be fixed, but they are all um, political choices, and I think it's a shame that all of those things, rather than just problems that need to be solved, are actually being used as barriers to actually do it. Um, but I think you're right that that some of this is the lesson that the the government have learned from the result of the Uxbridge by-election and they found a wedge issue that they're going to use to try um to try and win the next general election they've got um, to find they've got to find something simon they're not ready to give it up quite yet and no and, and i think that's where as we get into as we get into conference season it's going to be interesting isn't it the conservatives have got theirs this weekend i think it's labor next weekend um, yes. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's where, as political pundits, we will wait and see. Uh, you know, the Conservatives have set out their stall as the uh, as the champion of the motorist, and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll have be, a look next weekend and see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether from is it Manchester or Birmingham they're in. They're going to you know whether they're going to talk about cancelling um, another leg of of um, HS2. You know, at this point, it's not going to get very far outside of London, but. But it'll be interesting to see what happens to the polls, um, because the the Conservatives have recently started to, or e- e- whether that's a blip or not, um, will time be seen. But they've closed oh, they closed the gap between them and Labour. Can they? Re- you know what will happen? Because normally parties actually have a poll bump when they have their conference week. Um, yep. So what will that do to them? And indeed, will that become a uh, become a staging point for them for them to kind of fight a battle on um or will labor do enough in their in their conference um to be able to regain um that that um that gap who knows who knows time is upon us and so we won't go into hs3 my campaign for a high speed link between london and portsmouth we'll leave that for another show you've been listening to the pompey politics podcast i've been ian tiny morris 
And I've been Simon Sansbury. And uh, do make sure to join us uh, next week, uh, where we have our um, have the first of our ward reports, where we're going to be speaking to the Portsgrove uh, ward councillors. And the, and the following week, uh, we're going to be speaking to Portsmouth's uh, Lord Mayor. So uh, do enjoy. Um, do indeed join us next week at 6:27, where hopefully we'll have the audio also working. Um, and uh, we'll we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa. Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>